Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison, here to tell you GEICO has more than just great savings. Much more. GEICO's been around for more than 75 years, back when they were using Morse code. Sorry, that's just my sense of humor. What's more, with GEICO, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents on the app, online, or over the phone, so you can talk to them at night or in the morning. So forevermore, just know that no other auto insurer has more more than GEICO. More power to you. GEICO. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Log Talk Radio. You're listening to Spectrum Stories, an all-new, all-inclusive show for members of the LGBTQ community and its allies to share stories of love, hope, and encouragement in our spectrum community, only found on the Gay News America radio network. I'm your host, Roddy Biggs. I'd like to welcome my co-host. Hi, I'm Roger Lang. Thanks for having me, Roddy. Always great to have you on the show, Roger. Always great to be here. Awesome. Our special guest today is Dr. Ron Hope. Dr. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Great. We have a short clip for your introduction that I'm going to play now. Okay. Dr. Ron Holt is a clinical psychiatrist who is passionate about spreading awareness and support for the LGBTQ community, ending bullying, and advocating for suicide prevention. Once again, we'd like to welcome Dr. Ron Holt to the show. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. So tell us a little bit more about your number one international best-selling book. Great. Sure. So... Um, for, so for the listeners who haven't heard about my book before, um, the book is entitled Pride. Uh, you can't heal if you're hiding from yourself. Uh, as a board-certified psychiatrist and as a gay man, um, I felt it was important to get this in, um, information out there for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender youth. Uh, coming out for me was so excruciating, I almost literally didn't survive it. Uh, and I want it to be a lot easier for today's young people. And so I've written a book that I wish that I would have had when I was going through the struggles of my own identity and my own sexuality. Um, how was I going to live it? And how was I going to express it? Um, if I would have had this book, it would have been a lot easier. Um, so just to give you a brief description of the book, um, it's an easy to understand storytelling format uh, where I present facts and information on topics that are relative to LGBTQ youth and allies. Um, such as, for instance, understanding that sexuality and gender are not things that we choose, if and when it makes sense to come out about our feelings, uh, emotional and physical issues that may occur if we don't accept ourselves, uh, the importance of speaking our truth to our our medical providers to obtain the best care possible, uh, the effects of bullying on our health, and finding self-love and uh, self-acceptance. Absolutely, and I'd have to say your book is probably one of the best LGBTQ books I've read in a long time. Oh, well, so, thank you very much. You're more than welcome. So I'd like now to go over to Roger to get his thoughts on some of the work you've done and to ask you a few other questions. I'd be happy to. Hi, Dr. Holt. Uh, let me just first say that I'm in the middle of reading your book, and I just find it so great. Uh, in the first night, I already got 30 pages into it, which is a lot for me. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so just thank you for that. And um, 
We were hoping to get your opinion on the current state of the nation, um, especially concerning LGBTQ rights. Well, you know, we're certainly in um, a transitional period. I mean, I think we just came off of the heels of a, of a president who for the past years has probably been the most affirmative for LGBT rights in the history of the United States. And now we're getting into some probably uncharted territory here where it's very possible that um, if things go the way that people are thinking it might go, rights actually might be taken away. And so it's, it is very concerning, but, you know, I was thinking more about this and I was reading some uh, information from uh, other organizations and really everything does kind of start local. I mean, we can have person on a, on a national level try to influence what happens within our societies and our cities and our towns, but a lot of it starts with us um, from the bottom up. And so I'm hoping that even if there is some external pressure from, say, the next administration, uh, telling us that things uh, that we're not allowed to have the um, freedom that we currently have and the rights, uh, you know, and responsibilities of that, so, such as gay marriage. I'm hoping that on a local level, we can affect our schools, we can affect our organizations, we can affect our churches, and we can kind of start from the bottom up. Um, but I, I, again, I think like what, what you said, there's there's going to be some tremendous um changes that occur or perhaps changes that try try to occur and it's going to have to be us the will of, of the people who say no we don't believe in that we actually want to keep things the way that they were that they and that what we've uh, earned for the past eight years uh-huh uh-huh i totally agree i was also wanting to ask you your opinion about J senator jeff sessions yeah, you know, I was, uh, that's a good question. And I was just kind of reading over that before we got on air today. And uh, there's great concern among the LGBT community and a lot of national LGBT organizations saying that he's really been negative and actually voted against gay and lesbian, transgender and, and bisexual rights ever since he's and been in the public life. And uh, that's of great concern. And I'm hoping that everybody will contact their senators to try to make a difference and maybe really have him be well vetted before they actually allow him to be appointed. Um, but it, it is, it is of, of great concern. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Ron. I, I just, I myself, I'm not a fan of him. I didn't hear about him until just recently, but yeah. Yeah, no, I totally uh, agree with you. And it sounds like maybe you have the same feelings as I do and as well as other organizations. Mm -hmm. We're going to go back to Rowdy now. Okay. So everyone knows the Golden Globes were last night, and all of the people on the show were fighting for equality after those speeches. And we all know that if you watch Trump's Twitter, he blew up on Meryl Streep early this morning because of some comments she made the, and how he is so against it calling her pretty much horrible things. So what do you think about Trump's divisiveness in this nation and how he spreads it on Twitter? Well, you know, it's very concerning to me because I was thinking about that and I saw that tweet that he had about Meryl Streep um, saying that I think she said that she was overrated and uh, maybe had said one other comment about her. And, and I, I just I'm trying to think back in American history and I can't remember where a president has 
publicly, you know, um, targeted one particular person on such a national media format and, and made them feel bad and try, try to make them feel bad about themselves. Um, that's very concerning to me because a lot of times people, uh, what they try to do is divide and conquer. And so if they can sit there and try to make one person look bad, uh, then others will start to join them. And I think what's, what's concerning to me, and I think she said that in her uh, acceptance speech last night, is that when someone that has so much power starts to bully other people, then people who are under them or have less power than they do think that that's a uh, socially acceptable behavior. And then you'll start seeing more bullying across the country um, based on that. And I'm fearful that that may be the route that we're taking. Um, I, I have noticed that a, a lot of the tweets that he has sent out, um, and that kind of gives permission for a lot of people to say things they wouldn't normally say or do things they wouldn't normally do. And that can be certainly a slippery slope. Absolutely. And for those of you who don't know some of the tweets Donald Trump's been putting out, I'm going to read just a few to you. So on Meryl Streep, his comment, Meryl Streep, you are the, one of the most overrated actresses in Hollywood. Don't even know me, but yet attacked me last night at the Golden Globes. She's such a dot, 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 dot. Truly then, incredible. Very, considering it's coming from President-elect. Exactly. Then on Hillary Clinton last this morning as well, Hillary flunked, so lost, she lost big time. For the hundredth time, I never mocked a disabled reporter. I would never do that, but simply showed him dot, dot, dot. Yeah, it's, so, it's really, yeah, it's very incredible that someone can very publicly put out there in social media. It's, it's on video. I mean, there's so many examples of what he's done, and yet he, 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 uh, he denies everything that is very public, and that's, that's very concerning, I think, to me and probably to a lot of people because – uh, in this day and age, everything's re recordable, everything's on video, or everything's on social media, and so everything that we do, people can easily pull it up. And even with evidence right in front of him, he seems to say that somehow, no, that wasn't me, or that's not what, what I meant. And uh, that's a very slippery slope again, and it, it, it is very concerning, because then I think it gives permission for other people to lash out. And I don't know if you had noticed, like, on the Twitter feed about uh, – uh, about what happened last night with, with Meryl. I mean, they really, a lot of, hundreds of thousands of people went after her in a very negative and a very destructive way. And I just don't rem remember having that kind of uh, conversations coming from Obama, allowing in individual citizens within the U.S. to be attacked that way. And that, I think that kind of sets a bad precedent for us. It of course, does. of course. But. So... I know that you've talked a little bit about your book. We've had you on the show before it even came out and had the first yes. exclusive interview, which can yes. be found online at Gay News America. So tell us a little bit more about what life's been like after the book, any press conferences you might have gone to, are there plans for another one? Well, you know, those are all great questions, and I have to tell you that the book came out, I think, on December 15th on Amazon, and within a couple of days, I mean, and you had mentioned it, 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 it reached number one status in a few categories in seven different countries, and I was so, so happy with that. I was, uh, it was rated number one for a while in Canada, the U.S., the United Kingdom, Germany, Spain, France, and Australia. And I was just so, so pleased and so, so tickled. And it's not 
necessarily my 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 book as it is the marketing that was behind it. Everybody who's been very supportive, such as you, Roddy, and other people on Twitter, were sending out Twitters or Twitter feeds and in you know in information about the book. And I think that's really what got it out there so quickly and and in so, so many countries and. I just feel so honored uh, to be the messenger of, of this of this message and to be able to have people like you help me get that message out to, out there to so many people. Um, since it's been released, um, I've had people from around the world actually reach out to me either through direct messages on social media or sending me an email saying how the book has impacted their lives. And that's just an incredible, incredible feeling. I mean, countries I never even knew really existed <laughs> kids that were really struggling and cannot come out because it's either a crime or they can be locked up for it are, are, are reaching out. And that's such an incredible uh, emotional feeling for me to uh, experience. Uh, the good thing is that um, because it's doing so well, um, Morgan James publisher, uh, a New York publisher, has agreed to put it in print edition. And it should be out um, in uh, bookstores later this year. And so I'm very honored for that. And I'm very proud uh, to have this book out there uh, to be able to reach other, other um, formats and besides just on Amazon. Um, the other thing, too, it was funny you mentioned other, other books. Um, just last night, um, my partner and I uploaded uh, an LGBT coloring book uh, that's going to be available on Amazon as well. And it complements... Um, the pride group or the or, or the pride book, and I'm very very happy about that. Um, in fact, I, I we do have a, a PDF downloadable version of that, and I'd love to give a free uh, PDF download to all of your viewers or or listeners. And so, um, if they want to send me a, an email at uh, drronholt.info, I'd be happy to send them a downloadable coloring book. Well, thank you That's so awesome. much. Absolutely. Oh, it's my, my, my pleasure. And I'm so glad to be able to offer it to your, your listeners first. Wonderful. So I know in the email that you sent us requesting to come on the show, you talked a lot about your coming out story and yeah. how you struggled with telling your dad and yeah. you just went into great details about that. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your coming out story because we all know it turned into a fantastic book and the great work that you do for the LGBTQ community. Sure, sure. And so, um, so um, when I was young, when I was very young, I, um, I really struggled with my sexuality. I knew that I was probably, well, I knew I was gay from a very young age. I just didn't know how to kind of put a label to it or kind of understand it. But I knew back in sixth grade that I just didn't have the same feelings as my classmates did towards women. And, and uh, I think my father probably picked up on that as well and knew that I was different from the other, other boys. And he made the home very hostile and very homophobic, would make very derogatory comments about gay people, calling them fags and gay and that they're not going to make it in life. And uh, he made the, the home such a hostile environment for me that I did not feel comfortable coming out uh, until after actually I graduated from college. And the reason for that is that there was multifold, but, you know, I was still living under his home and still uh, financially dependent upon him. And in and, and so many words, he would make comments about, you know, people who are gay didn't deserve to live at home with their parents. And so it was a thinly veiled uh, attempt to kind of keep me closeted. And, and actually it worked, for, it worked up until I was age 23. Uh, when I graduated from college and then I went on to medical school, it wasn't until after my first semester of medical school 
uh, that I actually came out to him. And I certainly did not come out to him the way that I was expecting to or planning to. Um, it was right after finals. Uh, I was calling him uh, to talk about coming home like I always did. I went to school in Missouri. He lived back in, in, in Nebraska still where my partner was. And, um, you know, I was just saying, oh, you know, I'd like to come home for Christmas and what, what kind of plans do we have? And then he started going into one of his gay bashing tirades the way that he would normally do on a pretty often basis. And, and uh, you know, I said, you know, and I, I was just, I was getting more angry the more that I was listening to him because I had learned a lot in school that for, first semester in, in Missouri. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the things that you're saying. I said, I have a lot more information at my disposal now than I once did. And I don't believe the things that you're saying about gay people. And long story short, he finally came out and says, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that you're gay? And, and uh, I said, yes. I mean, it was so, I, I just, I just didn't really think about it. I just came out and said it. And it was like, oh my God. And then I thought, what did I just do? But I have to tell you, uh, you know, Roddy and Roger, it was probably one of the most relieving times of my life because for the first time in my life, I was actually able to be open and honest with my father. And it was such an amazing feeling. It was almost like being reborn again. And, uh, you know, and I thought, wow, this is just, an, it was like, it was such an amazing combination of feelings that all occurred about the same time within a five second period. It was truly amazing. And then it is know, amazing. It is. And it was so freeing. I just felt so free. And so like I was born again, it's like, wow, this is like this whole heavy list of, of weights that I've carried on my shoulders my whole life. I was able to throw them down <laughs> and away from me. And it was, it was wonderful. Um, and unfortunately, my father was not wonderful. I mean, he was, he was, he said, oh, fine. He said, if this is the life that you've chosen and he says, you're, not, you're never welcome home again, we never want to see you again. And he hung up. And for uh, for a minute there, I thought, oh, wow, it's like I was still like so relieved that I was able to finally be open to my father about who I was. Um, but then it kind of sunk in. It's like, oh, wow, I'm not going to see my family anymore. But then I thought, well, you know what? And this is this may this may sound horrible to hear, but uh, I actually felt like if, if if finally being able to be open and honest about who I am allows me to be free, then it's OK that I don't see my family right now. I was hoping that that wouldn't be a long term thing. But the freedom uh -huh. that, I, that I had associated with being open and out to my father was amazing. And it was worth the price of not seeing him that Christmas. I completely Absolutely. agree with you, Dr. Hope. Yeah, yeah. It was truly incredible. It truly was. And, uh, you know, after – I'm sorry. I, I mean, Go ahead. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I was just going to say, if I could interrupt for a moment. Um, yeah. Thank you for what you said about uh, – if your family cannot accept you, well, then, you know, it's an unfortunate situation. It's especially, um, I, I can't really relate so much to it because my family is actually very accepting. But yet, if right. they can't allow you to be who you are, well, then it might just be necessary to cut them out of your life. Right. And you're, you're hoping that that's not long term, but, you know, that may be something that you have to do. And, and when I say that, it's also with a caveat that you have a safe place in which to be in case you do happen to come out to them and they don't accept you for who they are. I think that's mm -hmm. really I think that's really important, and I, I don't know how, how you guys feel about that, but you know, if people are are feeling like maybe their parents aren't going to, it's not safe to come out to them, then maybe waiting and maybe getting a supportive environment that is first, like maybe some relatives that you know that have hinted to you that it's okay to be gay, or maybe some counselors mm -hmm. at school, or maybe a GSA group that you hang out with at school, or maybe some friends and. 
I think it's always important to kind of form a very supportive, like, you know, family type network that's around you, whether they're blood related or not, that accepts you for who you are. And then once you've got that into place, then I think you're able to um, start tackling down and, and approaching the people that you feel may not be uh, accepting. And then if they aren't, then you've got this family of people that are behind you to kind of fall back on. Can I just say, I went to a wonderful school in uh, Davenport, Iowa. Oh, wow. Where I, where I knew several different uh, LG, LGBTQ youth who actually got kicked out of their house by their parents. And oh, just geez. immediately within, within hours, they got taken in by other families who were more supporting and who had their own gay children, you know. Isn't that I mean, amazing? It was just so great to see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially da Davenport, Iowa. I mean, you think in the Midwest, there's very conservative, very religious-based communities. And, you know, to be able to have a, a support ne network like that is, is an amazing thing and uh, opportunity. Well, Davenport is in the Quad Cities. It's actually a very progressive area. That's great. That's great. I, I just meant areas around Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota. There's definitely pockets of conservatism. <laughs> Sometimes, I guess. sometimes, yes. I, I'm, now I'm living in Princeton, Illinois. It's a bit more uh, Donald Trumpy. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Very sorry. So I, we actually do have a short PSA announcement that provides messages of hope for the community. So I'm going to play that now, and then we're going to get some reactions to it. It's actually my coming out story and a message of hope that Great. I've always found to help me. So we're going to play it, Thanks, and Brian. then I'd love to get both of y'all's feedback. That's great. I knew at a very young age that I was not like the other boys. And when I was 12 years old, I told the first person I was gay, and it was a huge relief. After coming out to the rest of my family and my friends at school, some supported me, others not so much. I was bullied for several years to follow, to the point where I almost killed myself on many occasions. Fellow students and even some family told me at the time that I would never amount to anything, that I was worthless and should just go die. I started to believe all these things people were telling me were true and went through a very difficult time in my life. Looking back on my past, I'm glad that I was never successful in killing myself because it does get better. Being a member of the LGBTQ community in today's society can be very difficult, but there is hope out there. I found my hope and strength in Ellen DeGeneres. Her bravery and will to help others is what helped pull me out of the darkness. There are also great resources out there, like the Trevor Project, an American nonprofit organization focused on suicide prevention efforts among the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community. Just because things might look bad at the time, not mean that it won't get better. There will always be someone who loves you, even if they don't know you. I'm here to tell you, never give up on life. Never let people define you or change you. You were born perfect, just the way you are. And if you or someone you know is struggling, reach out. Ask for help. It could just save a life. For those of you who may need the Trevor Project Lifeline phone number, it is 1-866-488- 7386. They are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, including all holidays. So if you or someone you know is struggling, reach out and ask for help. Dr. Ron and Roger, what are your thoughts on what's going on with LGBTQ youth right now? 
what are your main concerns and what would you say to someone who is struggling? Dr. Ron, we're going to come to you first. Okay, so for, first of all, I'd like to comment on your PSA. I thought it was very, very good, and I thought it was very telling and very heartwarming for me to listen to. And I think a lot of LGBT youth are still experiencing the very things that you talked about when you were coming out. Um, so, you know, is it, uh, is it easier growing up today as L LGBT than it was, say, 10, 20, 30 years ago? Perhaps. Um, and it is easier growing up today than it used to be. And it's easier growing up gay in San Francisco in, uh, in Nebraska, where I grew up. Uh, so there is good news in the way that the culture has evolved. But I have to tell you um, that it still seems like it's very difficult for a lot of kids to come out. Um, I hardly know any kid that found it easy to come out to, to their parents. Um, there are a lot, a lot of kids who don't know if they should come out to their parents or to in, anyone at all, and, and that's okay. I mean, we're all, we all kind of come out at different stages. Um, for a lot of kids, say anywhere from, say, 13 to 17 or so, um, they, they may not even be sure if they're gay or straight, and, and that's okay. Uh, and in, the trans people actually have it even more, more particularly tough. Um, this, this, can be not, this can not only result in, in, in difficulties per se, but actually uh, suicide attempts. And like you were talking about earlier, Roddy, um, you know, gay, lesbian, and bi bisexual youth are up to four times more likely to attempt suicide compared to their straight peers. And in the trans population, um, they're up to nine times more likely to attempt suicide compared to the general population. I mean, those are really ep epidemic numbers. I mean, those are numbers that are very high and, and that should really sound alarms for, for, for society. And so, um, you know, any suicide is one too many suicides. And so I think it's really important and very diligent and really uh, an important time uh, for us to, uh, to reach out to others. And so my message would be for, for those youth, and like, like you had said, Roddy, uh, who are struggling, you're, you're not alone. Um, if you feel like you need assistance or, or you need help, uh, you can either contact your counselor at school or maybe your GSA group at school or reach out to na more national um, or organizations that are available 24-7, such as the Trevor Hotline. Absolutely. Thank, thank so, you, Dr. Roger, what are your thoughts? I will just, yeah, thank you, Dr. Holt. Um, myself, uh, like I said before, I have a very accepting family, but I was hoping to share a little bit about my experience as well. Even if you, uh, even if you don't grow up in a household where there's constant, you know, homophobic or stereotyping or things of that nature, um, it can still be very difficult to come out to your parents and it can still be very confusing. Um, sometimes it could be a bit funny. Uh, when I came out to my mother, actually the first words that she said afterwards were, okay, I have to go check on the pie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, she was right in the middle of baking a pie, apparently. Um, and then she came in, and it just got even more hilarious. Uh, she was actually quite relieved because she was worried that I was going to tell her I got a girl pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, no, actually, kind of the opposite. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't actually so easy with my dad, though. But, I mean, he has become quite accepting today. At the time, though, he was very disappointed, and he made that known right away, and you know, but that's something that you can't really let go of ever. Right. And, so, and I, do you mind if I make a comment on that? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, doctor. Yeah. So, you know what, I actually agree with you. And that's a very important comment that I'd like to make to all the parents uh, that may be listening out there, or even just friends and family of, of kids who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. 
Um, the comments that people say to people who come out to them are the most important words that they'll ever say in their life. And so, and we can, we can never take away words, right? Those, those never heal. We, we can never take, take those away. And so if, mm-hmm. someone, if someone comes out to you, I think the most important thing to say immediately is thank you so much for telling me um, I love you just the same. I mean, mm-hmm. those, those comments can go, those words can go so far in life, and it can also impact the way that that person who just came out to you responds to, to the world and to you forever. And I just Absolutely. don't know if, yeah, exactly. And I just don't know if people understand that when they make those kind of derogatory comments to people, even if it's just like, oh, I don't agree with that, or, you know, why did you have to tell me, or you've disappointed me? Man, that just shoots off a whole barrage of negative internalized feelings that gay youth um, carry and and think about, and then we start to internalize it, and then we start thinking bad about ourselves, and uh, we start doing all sorts of self-destructive behavior like drug and alcohol abuse or unsafe sex or you know um, not doing well in school or dropping out, and so words really do matter, and so the message to everyone who's listening to this is that. When someone comes out to you, the most important thing you can do is just be so supportive of them. And even if you're struggling yourself with what they just told you, try to hold that in and just be able to be there for that person at the very moment that they come out. Because I think for a person to come out for, to, to somebody, and certainly Roddy and Roger, you, you can chip in here too, I think they develop a huge amount of trust before they come out to that person, hoping that they're going to have a good response. Absolutely. So, yeah. You know, Absolutely. I mean, yeah, kids are always checking things out and they're always seeing is this going to be a safe environment or not. And so the words that we say to others really matter. Absolutely. That's one of the biggest things that concerns me going on in the state of Tennessee right now, because as a lot of people know, last year, Tennessee state legislation passed what's known as the counseling discrimination bill, which gives counselors the legal obligation to refuse clients based on what they call strongly held religious principles, which is horrible in and of itself. Yeah. If that's not enough, this coming session, which actually started today, they are willing to revise that bill to remove that strongly held religious principle and just call it strongly held principles. Wow. So you talk about an LGBTQ youth, 10 years old, been seeing a counselor six months, to a year, finally works up to the courage to say, hey, I'm gay. And then that counselor turns right back around and says, oh, I don't want to see anymore. What's that going to do to the youth that has worked up such a feeling of relief and joy in having someone to talk to, to then turn around and say, well, I just don't care. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you, and not, not only that, but just the, the tremendous amount of trust that that person has developed in that therapeutic relationship with that therapist uh, to be able to finally come out and then to have such a negative comment like that. Man, that's going to impact that kid for life. Right, and that's yeah. what's kind of going on in the state of Tennessee and other states are wanting to adopt something similar. Yeah. So definitely – in 2017, we all need to follow our local government and our state government. And if you see something you don't like, call them, reach out to them. Those numbers all over the internet you can find. And just 
stand up to indifferences. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't know if either one of you are aware of this, but today only being the ninth of the month, looking at online on the sixth, so three days ago, Marissa Caldwell of Mississippi was declared the first transgender woman in the United States to be murdered. And then one day ago, there was yet another transgender murder mm. when Jamie was found dead. So two days or nine days into the month, and we've already got two. We know last year that there were over 20 that were confirmed. So what are you, both of your thoughts on transgender murders? Why do you think it's such a high percentage of transgender people that have to fear murder? Is it because people don't understand the community, or do you think it's simply just a hatred? I would think it has to do mostly with not understanding. It has to do with ignorance, I would think. Okay. I, I would agree with you. I think there is a lot of ignorance. I think there's a lot of um, hatred out there as well. And a lot of times things that we don't know about, we fear. And then that fear can sometimes turn into hate, hatred of others. And I have to go back to what we talked about when, at the top of the hour um, when we talked about Donald Trump uh, sending out kind of hatred type tweets, because um, that kind of validates when uh, people's behavior if you send out tweets about others or make fun of other people or make other people feel down about themselves others say wow if a leader of the of the free world can can make those kind of comments then i i i can make a comment like that as well knowing that they're probably going to be protected and that is that does bring up issues again when you brought up about jeff um, sessions that he's the one who's going to be um, controlling and, and regulating what civil rights we uphold and which ones we don't and so when you have a president who's saying very negative comments about others through Twitter or through other social media or even on, on, on TV, um, that sends a powerful message to others like, if I say this, then it, it, it must be okay, and therefore others then will start behaving on that as well. And that's why I think you start seeing people who start doing more dramatic things in public like hitting other people or even murdering or, or, or saying derogatory comments to, to others because they feel like they can get away with it. And that's, that's very frightening to me. I agree, Dr. Hold. And I just, to be honest, I find it a little bit ridiculous for anyone to believe that the actions of the president wouldn't have an effect on the actions of the public. You know, he's Absolutely. the president. He's supposed to be the most respected man in the whole country. And, and, and should, that's right, should, should be. But it also has to be an earned, an earned behavior as well, right? We have to respect, we only re respect others when they earn that respect. And, and I think if we don't act, in a pre presidential fashion, then um, a lot of mayhem and a lot of cultural and societal unrest can occur, and that's what we're starting to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So going, going off of that, we know that President-elect Donald Trump has been putting his cabinet nominees out there for quite some time, and almost every single one of them oppose LGBTQ rights and mm -hmm. have done horrendous things for the community. So I'd like to get both of your opinions on Trump's elect cabinet. So Dr. Hope, we're gonna start with you. 
So, you know, it's I'm very concerned about it, and you're right, Roddy. I mean, I've been watching on CNN a lot of the comments that they've been making, and I guess is there like three or four people that are up in front of the Senate today to be vetted to see whether they should be appointed or not? I there mean, are that's three up today and three up tomorrow. That's that's incredibly quick, and I guess the ethics committee hasn't even done a full vetting of them yet to say what issues should be talked about when they are up, up in front of the Senate. And that, that's very, very concerning for me because you're going to be railroading um, some of the most conservative cabinet members. My, my understanding is that this they may be some of the most conservative in 100 years. And uh, we haven't. Yeah, and we haven't heard, we haven't had such a conservative group, gosh, in a hundred years. I mean, longer than all of us have have been alive, and then some. And that's just so incredibly scary and, and frightful. And, and um, I'm hoping that uh, a lot of people will say, listen, we need to slow down on this, and we need to have more time in which to fully vet these people and talk about what their feelings are, because they are going to set. They are going to be the trendsetters for the for the for the country and for for the rest of the world. And you know, all these rights that we've received over the past eight years under Obama can be taken away from us in a heartbeat. And that's that's very concerning to me. Absolutely, Roger, your thoughts. Well, I was just thinking about how um, earlier today I was having a discussion with someone who didn't believe that any of Trump's cabinet picks had ever showed any kind of uh, homophobic or anti-gay behavior. But Jeff Sessions and Betsy DeVoe, the, uh, the pick for the Secretary of Education, they both played a part, voiced their opinion during the Matthew Shepard trials, both mm -hmm. of them believing that gay people do not even deserve to have uh, hate crime status. Wow. And that just especially gets to me because I think that anyone who pre-plans and acts like that, pre-plans to attack a gay person, a black person, a Muslim person, anything like that, I, I feel like they've already accepted the consequences of their actions, the possible jail time they might receive, and they've accepted it, you know? And so if they're going to, to continue to go through with it, I think that we need harsher sentencing for those types of acts, those hate crimes. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And here's what's even worse is that if you have someone like Jeff Sessions that gets in there who will not enforce those type of hate crime laws, then really what's to stop anybody from going out and doing what they want, knowing that they're not going to be charged for it? So that's actually all the time we have for today. But I would like to get some closing comments from our guest, Dr. Ron Hope. So Dr. Ron, closing comments. Yeah, thank you, Roddy. And just uh, again, at the end, um, if anyone here wants a free PDF coloring book, uh, please feel free to reach out to me at drronholt.info, and I'll be happy to send it off to you. Absolutely. And if anyone would like more information on Gay News America or Spectrum Stories, you can find me on Twitter at Roddy Diggs. You can find Roger at R-A-R-A -R -A Lenning. You can find Dr. Holt at Dr. Holt. And you can find Spectrum Stories at Spectrum underscore stories, all on Twitter. Thank you all for listening, and have a great day.